Guten Morgen. Nigel read from 2 Corinthians. Uh, basically saying that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And it's talking about how we give there. And that's the subject of, of what we're looking at over the next few weeks. We've already had a, a couple of weeks, um, an introduction in the first week, uh, last week. And I'm not quite sure. For those who weren't here, let me just very quickly say this. I, uh, I has tried to establish um, that before... And I hopefully successfully established that uh, that tithing, meaning given a tenth, preceded the Old Testament law. And we need to establish going forward in this fellowship, does that principle of tithing still apply today in the New Testament church? And... Uh, I shared what my goal is in, in teaching, you know, this about tithing. I hadn't done it for a number of years. In fact, there'll be people here who, who have come since that uh, have never heard me speak about money in this way. Um, but the goal I have in teaching this is twofold. That we would examine and question our giving individually and together as a, a church, in what is due to God and what is right for, for us to give. And the second reason for me teaching this is because we recognize and believe here in the church uh, in the authority of Scripture and the promises of God that when we give and do what's right and when we live correctly and right, then God will give us His continued blessing and provision, not only in finance, but in health and strength. So that's, that was my goal in this teaching. And uh, for those who weren't here, I'm going to very quickly just tell you that uh, last week we looked at uh, Cain and Abel. At the very beginning of the Old Testament, Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. And if you remember the story, Cain slew Abel, killed him. But just before Abel died, they brought an offering to God. And it tells us God said to Abel that it was acceptable and good, and he was blessed. But Cain's offering wasn't acceptable. Uh, very quickly, I believe, Cain brought what he wanted to bring rather than what he knew he should bring. And then we spoke about um, Abraham giving a, a tenth of all his possessions to Melchizedek who was the high priest and speaks about Jesus being in the, in the high priest in the order of, of Melchizedek. But I left you with this last week. <clears throat> when we don't do what we should do, 
we can take a lesson from very early on what God says to Cain when Cain tried to bring what he wanted to bring. I'll just very quickly read this scripture to you. It says this in Genesis 4, 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face, why are you sad, why are you downcast? And God says to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must rule over it. When we go our own way, the Bible tells us sin is crouching right there with us. And it desires to have us. But we're told we must rule over it. We must stand up and say no. I'm going to speak about the two types of giving in the law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. There was two types. There was tithing and there was offerings. Let me explain how the law, when the law was brought, how we see the law today. Traditionally, Reformed theology has distinguished God's law revealed in the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, in three parts. So when you read about the law of the Old Testament, when it speaks about the Old Testament law, it isn't just speaking about the Ten Commandments. There's a lot more to it. And we see the law that was given to, to Israel by God in three different ways. Firstly, there was the moral law. And this is focused on the Ten Commandments and is considered to be permanent, meaning it still applies today. And it speaks about perpetual duties in those laws, those Ten Commandments, towards God and towards our neighbour. If you remember when the Pharisee comes to Jesus, he says, what's the most important commandment, Jesus? And Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he says, and the second is like it, to love your neighbour as yourself. That's the moral law given by God. So that's one way, and some laws are moral, doing right even today. The second is ceremonial law. And they, these laws were only for the duration of the Old Testament. And they were a shadow, if you like, what we, we call a shadow of Jesus Christ. We see the, the Jews uh, performing these ceremonial laws and that points us to Jesus coming and what Jesus was going to do. The, obviously, the perfect example is the shed blood of Jesus which was re represented in the old ceremonial law when the high priest would go into uh, the Holy of Holies and he would present the burnt offering for, for the sins of Israel. And then we have the civil 
or the judicial laws in the Old Testament. And he was made up of legal arrangements for any society. But you can't take those civil laws in the Old Testament and apply them exactly to today. So some apply, some are good, some are made up of the moral law, and some can be applied today in our law. Our laws in this country are based on the civil laws of the Old Testament. So that's, that's the Old Testament law and how it's broken down. Tithes. I shared last week that the, the t- requirement to, to give a tenth tithe preceded the Mosaic law. But it's also within the Mosaic law. It's, it's coded into the law, if you like. And when Jesus was walking on in, in the early New Testament times, he was challenged, or he challenged the hearers. You see, Jesus said to them, when they came to him and asked him about it, he said, listen, you must exceed the Old Testament of giving the tithe. It isn't good enough. The Jews would bring their tithe and thought that was it. And Jesus says to them, it isn't good enough for you just to bring a tenth of your provision. You have to be just. You have to be merciful. You have to be loving. You have to take care of the widows and the orphans. You see, the tithe was ingrained in the Pharisees. It was ingrained in Old Testament law. The Jews recognized and realized this isn't something that we can walk away from and ignore. Dr. R.T. Kendall says, says this, tithing was so deeply embedded in the Jewish conscience that it needed virtually no mention in the New Testament. He didn't really have to mention it in the New Testament because it was ingrained, understood. Dr. R.V. Clearwater says this, every case of giving that received special mention in the New Testament was cited because it went beyond the tithe. So what he's saying is every time it spoke of of people giving in the New Testament, it wasn't speaking just of the tithe. That was already given. It was going beyond the tithe. In the New Testament, Jesus didn't uh, abrogate it, stop the tithe. He didn't come and say, you don't give tithes anymore. That was in the Old Testament. He instructed them to give it. And he says it in this way. He says, we remember the coin? When they asked him about paying taxes, he says, listen, give the coin. He says, whose head is on the coin? He says, Caesar's. Now listen to what he says, Jesus. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. 
But then he says, give to God what is God's. That second part, as well as the first part, is vitally important to the church. You see, the principle of giving and the attitude in giving we're being taught that it's an important part of our worship. It was an important part before the Old Testament law. It was an important part in the Old Testament law. And in Jesus' time, Jesus was teaching, it's still an important part now. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8, Nigel read it, it says, Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Listen, God's not going to say to her, come and give all this. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then he says this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having sufficient in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You see, we can see from this letter written by Paul to the early church at Corinth, that the principle of giving, and in particular the way we give, is vitally important and he states it and says, listen, God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul's telling us it's not only that we give, but it's just important how we give. How we give. And he says this, he says, and when you give, grace, God is able to make all his grace abound to you, meaning It'll apply to you so that we're always having sufficient to give. And he's going to make sure that when we give, we have an abundance to give. That's what he's saying to you. Oh, if I give this, I might not have enough. God, God says this in a scripture. If you give willingly, generously, he says, listen, I'll always make sure you have enough to give. Do you trust him? Do you believe him in that? But you know what we do? I'm going to say it again. The first thing that stops when you're short of money is giving to your church. And then you wonder why you've got nothing. Why God doesn't bless you and provide for you. Not only is God able to provide all our needs, but by His grace, He will provide us to give abundantly. You see, that scripture is referring to God giving us that we will give to others. And knowing that, we can give trusting the Lord will not leave us destitute. And in fact, the Scripture's telling us whatever we give, 
He's making sure he's giving to us to give it. But you trust him. You see, Cain and Abel brought their offering to the Lord. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob brought their offering to the Lord via the high priest in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament law commanded the tithe and offerings be brought to the altar in the tent of meeting. And that's where the Lord would meet the high priest. And we, I told you to go, last week when you were here, I told you to go and read Malachi. And what the Jews started to do, they started to bring, instead of bringing the perfect, they brought the imperfect, those animals that were blemished. God said, it's not acceptable. You're robbing from me. The tithe and the offering in the Old Testament was always brought to the Lord, brought to the priest. And in the same way today, our offering, like Abel and like Abraham's and like the Old Testament tithes, the offering must and should be brought to the Lord and with the right attitude, willingly, joyfully, and more importantly, worshipfully-like. Not grudgingly. Otherwise, it's unacceptable before God. Nowhere, nowhere, and you can go away and find it for me. If you can find it, bring it to me. But nowhere in the New Testament was the tithe, the tenth, abolished. Nowhere. Jesus did not stop it. The apostles have not repealed or rescinded it. And I suggest that scripture therefore indicates the tithe must still remain today. And it's giving an indication of our obedience. And this is an indication. Our obedience to the tithe is an indication of our worship. Do you really worship me? The Lord says this, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's very simple, isn't it? If you love me, you'll obey me. The tithe hasn't been stopped. You know, Jesus is spoken, is the Messiah spoken of as a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, that's in Psalm 110. And the New Testament declares Jesus as prophet, high priest, and king everlasting. Hebrews 7, 8 says this, In the one case, the tenth is collected by the people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living Paul, in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 9, says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now listen to that. It says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. 
in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme, listen, their extreme poverty, they gave. But God gave to them first. You see, God's grace was to them first, and then they were able to give. In the Old Testament, Exodus 13, God declared to the Jews, the firstborn, now listen to this, the firstborn of both man and animal to be his. God told the Jews, listen, the firstborn, the firstborn of man and animal is mine. Amazing that, isn't it? Firstborn child was to be redeemed, it said, with a sacrificial lamb. When you had your firstborn child, you would take a lamb to be sacrificed in, as a part of your thanks and your worship to God for your firstborn child. Firstborn donkey colts could be redeemed in a like manner. Luke 2, 22, 24 says this, When the time came for the purification rites required by the Lord of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, meaning Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. We do a similar thing today, although not quite the same. We, we offer dedication, don't we? Or we ask for a blessing. You see, I reluctantly dedicate children, but I joyfully ask God's blessing on them. And the reason I reluctantly dedicate your child is because when we dedicate our children, we're saying, Lord, I'm going to give this child to you. But we don't really mean that often. Lord, I'm going to give this child to you. And you can use him for your glory. You can take him to suffer and bleed and be a missionary somewhere in Iraq or Iran where he's going to be totally persecuted. But we don't really mean that. We don't really come and dedicate him to God, do we? So when people come to me and ask me to do a dedication, I explain, listen, do you really mean a dedication to God? Do you want to give this child to God? Or do you want to ask God to bless him? You see, Mary, Joseph and Mary set the example of lawful giving as prescribed in the Mosaic law. They brought Jesus and presented him to God. In Exodus 23, 19, it speaks about the first fruits. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. You are not to boil a young goat in milk of its mother. And it goes on with lots of other things. Lots of things that we're, they were supposed to do as part of the ceremonial law. And then in Numbers 8, 20, 18, 20, it speaks about the, 
the sons of Levi. To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for your inheritance. In return for their service, which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. You see, the sons of Levi were priests. And what God's saying here, he's saying, listen, I have given all the tithe in Israel, what, I, what is mine, I give it to Israel. Israel has got to present it back to the, to, to the temple. And I am making them present it back to the temple because it's mine. And I'm giving it to look after you priests in the temple. See, it wasn't the Jews giving it. It didn't belong to them in the first place. It belonged to God. God gives it them to be a steward over. And he says, now, take it to the temple. That's the tithe. It belongs to me. That was the Old Testament. God provided for his priesthood. Israel giving a tenth of any increase of God's provision to them. The principle to establish here is that the tithe is the Lord's. And it is the Lord and not Israel who was providing for his priests. What he didn't say is, listen, I'll make Israel provide for you by giving it. He says, I will provide for you. It was his. That's the tithe, very quickly. Offerings in the Old Testament. You see, the offerings were voluntary. Offerings were always over and above the regular tithe, given out of gratefulness to God and a sign of person or worship. You see, the offering at that time could be a perfect male bull from a herd or a perfect male sheep or goat, turtle doves and or pigeons could also be offered. None of that what was offered was to be an inferior animal blemish, but the choicest, the first, and the best. Otherwise, the offering was again was not acceptable. That was above the tithe. Gratefulness, thankfulness. Didn't God have given them the 90%? And he's saying, okay, that's yours. You can use it for you, for whatever you want to do. And some were bringing it as an offering their thankfulness for their worship of God. Offerings in the Old Testament were not demanded or obligatory. But the tithe was. In Matthew 12, 17, it says this, Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Matthew 5, 17 says this. Do not think I have come to abolish the law. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. As with Jesus' baptism, I would suggest that Jesus tithed. And he did this to fulfill the Old Testament law. And to fulfill, we are told, all righteousness. Jesus was right, righteous. 
given to God what belonged to God. He was teaching them, give to God what belongs to God. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Pay your taxes for it. And give to me what belongs to me. And then everything else will be yours. And I'll bless you. He says to him. And if we don't, if I don't, I'm robbing him. Matthew 23, 22 says this. Woe to you, teachers of the Lord and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, meaning the tithe, without neglecting the former. You should have practiced the latter, the tithe, without neglecting the former. You see, Jesus totally confirms the principle of tithing and approved of the practice. Here he could not, he could have said at this point, you don't have to give it. It no longer applies. I'm here now. The Old Testament's past. It was to, to lead you to me. I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament. But you know what he did? He didn't try to change it. He didn't try to stop it. He confirmed it. As part of the true worship of God. He did. You see, in every area of Jesus' life, Jesus raised the standard and it also included giving. Matthew 5.20 But I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, now listen to this very carefully. This is Jesus speaking. And I'm not saying this to condemn anyone. I have no right to do that. I can only look at my own heart and know that what I do and what I worship. I can't tell you my wife's heart. I can't tell you my children's heart. I can't tell you my best friend's heart. I can tell you my heart. And I can also share this scripture with you. But I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. They're not my words. <coughs> They're the words of Jesus Christ. And he wasn't speaking to the Pharisees at the time. He was saying to the people, those who were around him listening, or his apostles, unless it surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to leave it there. And we'll come back next week and we'll, we'll look about at uh, New Testament giving or giving in the church today, how it applies to us, if it does or not. Let's pray.
Father, Lord, you tell us that when we do what is right, you will bless us. Father, there are times when we don't know these things and we, we don't do it out of ignorance. And Lord, even then we come and we say, well, I didn't know. And, and Lord, I believe you excuse us for that. But for us here who have heard this, Lord, I pray we would go away and give it some serious thought. I pray we would come back next week and hear the rest of it. Father, and I, I pray this for, for us as a fellowship. Father, not only that our worship would be right, but that we would be able to, to receive your blessing in our life of health and strength and provision and longevity of life. So Lord, let us go away. Let us consider that we've heard. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.